electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Uh, if you want to make friends, I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let me tell you what I'm worried about. On a not-so-hot day, where the Dow dipped 39 points, S&P declined 0.83%, but the area I keep telling you to worry about, the NASDAQ lost 1.54%. I'm worried that the Fed might be looking at the wrong numbers. Specifically, I think the aggregate data, like the stronger retail sales figures we got from the government this very morning, something that might encourage tightening may be hiding the real problems or even rot underneath, or at least obscuring them. The problem is real simple, although the Fed doesn't want to seem to hear it. October was a very weak month in this country. I mean, real weak. Weaker than anything I've seen in ages. Certainly the weakest since we got used to the spring of 2020. I mean, it's been that long. The Fed needs to understand this, and it needs to understand it fast. Now, how can we tell? Well, I do things a little more anecdotally, but overall, when you add it together, it's plenty empirical. Rather than focusing on the aggregate data we get from the government, I think you get a better sense of reality by creating a pastiche of information from a mosaic of individual companies. And right now, that mosaic, it's not looking very good for the U.S. economy. Let's start with the most glaring issue. If you pull pretty much anyone about shopping in this country and ask, hey, where do you think it's fun? Well, they're pretty split. It's either Costco or Target, right? I mean, they like Costco because the club membership lets them experience the thrill that comes maybe with, say, a treasure hunt of finding a bottle of Camus, my favorite wine, for about 75 bucks. That's lower than what most liquor stores pay for the product to say nothing of what, what they charge you for it. Costco can do that because it has buying power. It's that big. It wants to have volume growth not price increases, and because it has the membership fees to offset weaker product-level margins. Now, Costco had 6% same-store sales growth in October. The number that initially looked okay, but now that we've seen how the other retailers did it, it's clear the world's largest discounter had a terrific month, which isn't exactly a sign of strength, right, that given that it was 6%. 
albeit it was against some terrific months last year. Then there's Target, which we've got to talk about. Target, which is doing much worse. Joe closed down 13% today. I don't know a soul who dislikes going to Target. In our house, we make a pilgrimage there before we go to the beach. It's where you spoil yourself. You can get everything you need at a Target, especially if you go with their much cheaper store brands that I think have fantastic quality. Better a lot than the name brands. A great place to shop. Aisle by aisle. But you know what you might not like? Right now, if you're not doing that well, you might not like the prices. See, it's not the cheapest. And if you are stretched thin, well, you're going to trade down from Target. Of course, trading down is a very tricky thing. I went to my local Dollar General last week, aisle by aisle, and I saw nothing for a dollar there besides a pack of those big, softer Smarties at the register. They charge real prices there. Now, I asked for a price check on the Smarties for the kid. AJ rang it up. Just in case it might be, say, two bucks, that's how suspicious I become about Dollar General's prices. No such thing as a real dollar store anymore. Make no mistake, though, if you're worried about being laid off or you're having trouble making ends meet because Washington scrapped last year's highly underrated child tax credit boost, then you're trading down from Target to something like Dollar General. Target's a joy, but it's not where you go if you're worried about paying 18% interest on your credit card because you used up your savings. When you're trading down, let's say you go to Walmart, which is why it had a much better quarter than Target, Although every Walmart was pretty, you know, even Walmart was pretty unenthusiastic about the month of October. It's called a cadence. And as the months went on, I think Walmart's October was weaker than the other months. Now, if you drill down, you'll see that Target had some select aisles that went well, but nothing that could change the overall trajectory. So I don't care that the government's numbers showed retail sales up 1.3 percent in October month over month. I'd month I, you know what I'd rather do? I'd much rather listen to Target CEO Brian Cornell, a straight shooter, who says in the release, in the latter weeks of the quarter, sales and profit trends softened meaningfully with guest shopping behavior increasingly impacted by inflation, rising interest rates and economic uncertainty, end quote. Mind you, this is the CEO of Target speaking, not some Fed governor statistician. He's a seasoned, serious, rigorous merchant with a tremendous track record. When I recently walked through a store, a beautiful Target store with him, I was struck by how exciting it was. It was kind of like the tell the wife kind of exciting. You know what I mean? Aisle for aisle, that Target was much nicer than anything I've seen at my Walmart. But they were pricier than you might want if you're worried about economic uncertainty. Hence, yes, indeed, the disappointing quarter. What matters here is that the Fed's made more progress in its war against inflation, I think, than they may believe. I wish they'd take their cue from a target. Sometimes it's more accurate than the macro data. Now, there's definitely a way to thread the needle here. In order to beat inflation, the Fed has to raise rates and sow economic uncertainty to the point where consumers no longer want to go to a full-price department store and spend a ton of money. That brings down prices. I think you can do that without also bringing down target. I mean, we're not talking about Neiman Marcus here. I'm not asking for the Fed to engineer a soft landing for the people in first class, but maybe they can at least spare the people sitting in Economy Plus. What else should make the Fed nervous? How about the amazing quarter that TJX reported today? 
I followed TJX, the parent company of TJ Maxx and Marshalls, for decades. I've never heard them as confident about their inventory position as they were this morning. Remember, this is an off-price chain that buys unsold merchandise from department stores for next to nothing. That means they're major players. Maybe uh, maybe they bought stuff from uh, Bed Bath Beyond. Maybe Bed Bath Beyond's pretty much begging TJX to buy their product for a song because they're so desperate and they don't have enough cash on hand. TGX is like a vulture uh, feasting on the carcasses of other retailers. What I found profoundly worrisome was that their business, again, got better and better as the quarter went on. Again, that means October had to be real bad for that and for the rest of retail because it was so good for them. Finally, everyone's been going gaga for tech lately, especially the semiconductors, to which I say, based on what? Today, Micron told us the answer. Based on nothing, the gigantic maker of basic chips, integral to pretty much everything, said that business had weakened and they're going to miss the quarter. October was bad. The problem here is that we've heard this not once, but twice already from Micron, along with very similar language about how they're taking bold and aggressive steps to reduce the supply of the chips. Bold and aggressive. Here we go again. That includes slowing down any capital expenditures that would go to expanding capacity. And we've heard it all before. With President Biden making it much harder to sell chips to China, there's going to be a continuing glut of semiconductor equipment. Bad news for Lamb Research, one of my favorite companies. Most important, Micron shows that there's been no pickup in the sale of basic electronic devices, especially personal computers. And that's just plain bad for a whole host of component makers. Judging by the initial reaction of the stock of one of my favorites, NVIDIA tonight, its earnings aren't going to change anyone's mind positively either. We will have a full NVIDIA report for investing club members in your inbox later this evening, and we'll address it again tomorrow on our club call. Later on tonight, I'll give you my take on the coming understatement of unemployment in this country. But the real takeaway from today is that the economy is now downshifted away from Target, moving to Walmart for several months. In October, the trade down went all the way one notch to TJX. That's the stopping point. Once we get below the off-price chains, it means there's just too much fear and too little good news to make November any better than October. Not good, given that November's when the holiday season gets rolling. The bottom line, I am begging the Fed to look at what's happening at individual companies, big ones, not small ones, so that they'll be a little less ruthless going forward. 50 basis points, not 75. Because if they only focus on the macro data from the government, they're going to cause a lot more damage than necessary. Let's go to Joe in my home state of New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Joe. How have you been? Very, very good. Thank you. Uh, my question's on uh, Albertsons. I currently yes. own a, a fairly large position on your recommendation from when it went public. Yes. Uh, I don't know. With the uh, restraining order on the special dividend payment, I'd like to know if I should still hold on to the stock. Well, I am concerned that the government has turned very anti-merger, but Albertsons itself should be higher uh, no matter what. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to stick with it. And uh, it's been a big win, obviously, when it got up higher or don't like it as much. But, you know, you could say woulda, shoulda, coulda, but the stock's come down to a level where I think it's okay. Let's go to Anthony in Florida, please. Anthony. Jimmy Till, I just want to say thank you from the Sunshine State for all you do for us home games. Uh, thank you. Thank, thank you, Anthony. Thank you very much. 
My my question is is we're talking about a slowdown in the recession coming. I've yes. been on five cruises in the last two months. The ships are packed, the casinos are packed, and the drink packages are flowing. Would you pick a Royal Caribbean or Norwegian during these times? No, I'm a Norwegian fan. I, look, I, I have to tell you, I've spent a lot of time with Frank Del Rio. I think he does a very good job. Now, Carnival is not in as good a shape. It does tend to bring down the whole industry, which is why Norwegian was down today. But I do like Norwegian cruise. And thank you for the kind words to all of our callers. I am begging the Fed to look at what's happening at large individual companies, particularly retailers. See, if they only focus on the macro data from the government, I think they're going to do a lot more damage than necessary by raising rates too fast and too big. Oh, man, money tonight. Former Domino CEO Patrick Doyle has been tapped to be chair. It's executive chair, actually, of Restaurant Brands International. I'm learning more about the, his vision for the quick service company with the man himself. Ben, you called in and stumped me on a few stocks, so I'm turning in my homework on a handful of names that you've been asking about. And yes, Cisco reported after the bell. So what did this quarter tell us about the tech hardware space? It's a big company I'm discussing with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
got some big news out of the restaurant industry this morning. When we learned that Restaurant Brands International, think Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Hortons, is bringing in Pat Doyle as its new executive chairman. That means he's an operating person, not just means he's a chairman. Now, you might remember Doyle as the longtime CEO of Domino's Pizza, where he spearheaded one of the most incredible turnaround stories I have ever seen, taking the stock from $12 in 2010 to 271 when he retired in 2018. That's pretty fabulous. Doyle's got a simple mission at restaurant brands, help speed up the company's growth rate. How important was this hire? I mean, restaurant brands saw its stock on a not-so-good day, jumped nearly 7% just on this announcement. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Patty Doyle. He's the new executive chairman of Restaurant Brands International for the first time in far too long. Mr. Doyle, congratulations and welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. Well, Pat, I got to tell you, you got a tough job because Restaurant Brands has been an outstanding performer. This is not some company that you need to come in and turn around. They've been doing a great job. So uh, with that in mind, how can you make such a good company uh, even better to justify what I think is a pretty exciting pay package if you do? Yeah, well, Jim, you, you nailed it. I mean, the, the reality is Jose and the team have been doing terrific work. Um, their franchisees are invested and it has been doing well. Um, I think there's an opportunity to accelerate growth even more. And so, you know, as I'm starting to learn this business and the four different brands, um, both in their home markets and in international, the opportunities are huge to, to accelerate this even more. And I'm excited to be diving in with the team and start figuring out ways we can get that done. Okay, so when you uh, first started, of course, I met you that first week of at uh, in that incredible move at Domino's, you did say that the quality wasn't what it, you wanted. Now, that's a dicey thing because there's a lot of companies, a lot of people that were invested in the current Domino's pizza, and you had to upend things. And you did so in a critical way by showing people, comparing it yourself to cardboard. Are there things in the RBI arsenal that you think are, need that kind of redoing? No, I, I, I don't think anything needs that kind of redoing. I mean, the food is great. Uh, I had a, a big spread of Popeyes for lunch, and I mean the the food was was amazing. And I've been out trying all of the different businesses over the last couple of weeks as I've been having these conversations uh, about joining up. I think the one that probably needs the most work, and they've announced a big four hundred million dollar investment, is is into Burger King in the U.S. Outside of the U.S., it's growing like crazy. It's a terrific business. Inside the U.S., there's some work to do, but the, the quality of the food is great, and it's really about getting the assets where they need to be, getting the restaurants fixed up, um, getting the operations where they need to be, but they're partnering with the franchisees. They're focused on the franchisee success, and so I'm, I'm quite confident that they're going to get that going the right direction. All right, I want to ask you about Popeyes because we always had Show Batchelor on the show, and we we loved yeah. it, loved it, loved it. And of course, it never really got to go where it did. So, so private equity bought it. What I always found so curious was uh, Show would tell me that there are certain certain countries that it did well in, but she would never tell me about the other countries that it didn't do well in. Now, my take is it's one of the most tasty, uh, really treats there is. And that it would work in every country. Am I missing something or did they try it in other countries and it just failed? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know the history on that. What I know is that it is a food-led brand. It knows exactly who it is. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's about the Cajun-inspired flavor profile. And the food is just is fabulous. And, I mean, they've got a new blackened chicken that's coming. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And so I think it should work everywhere. I mean, chicken is pretty universal. And, uh, and they're having an awful lot of success. They're building a lot of units outside of the U.S. now. They've got a lot of, of franchisees who are motivated and investing. So I think it's very, very much on the path outside of the U.S. All right, so if I, uh, when I read the research today, and it was uh, definitely significant that you came in because the stock jumped on a not great day. The question was, this man's a builder. He's a man who understands quality and taste. And he's going with people who understand cost cutting. How are you going to reconcile your brand, so to speak, with their brand? Yeah, you know what? I, honestly, I mean, first of all, success is driven by the franchisees. So if, if the franchisees are doing well, they're making a good return on their investments, they're feeling confident about the future, they're going to invest in their businesses, and they're going to grow. What 3G is really, is really good at is accountability. The, the flow through as this thing grows is terrific. And so really it's, it's about accountability. It's not about cost cutting. It's about spending dollars wisely, finding the places you can invest. And again, the best proof of that, and frankly, it was one of the things that got me excited was this $400 million investment that they're making as a company. Um, into uh, into the Burger King brand in the U.S. And so they're willing to invest. They've been investing. They've gotten their digital platform up and running over the course of the last three years, and they had to bring a lot of folks in um, to do that. So it's about investing wisely, and that will fit very, very well with the way I look at at how you grow these brands. Well, when I heard about it, it changed my mind. I have not been recommending restaurant brands. I've liked Chipotle and I've liked McDonald's. Uh, I've even liked Yum. I've always felt that perhaps these guys weren't doing it the direction that I like, but I have always shared your enthusiasm and I think that suddenly restaurant brands now jumps to the top of the list. Pat Doyle, incoming executive chairman of Restaurant Brands International, QSR. Patty, great to see you. Thanks, Jim. You too. Great to be back on. Well, well, let me tell you something. Guy's a moneymaker, and money's back in. Coming up, it's not buy and hold, it's buy and homework. Kramer kicks off the homework part next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Whenever I get a call about a stock that I'm not too familiar with, either I don't know it or I haven't been keeping up with it lately, I always put that stock to the side and promise to circle back once I've done some more homework. Over the last week, though, we've seen our homework rule swell with stocks from both categories, a few unfamiliar ones and a few where I wanted to brush up on what was happening. So tonight we're clearing out the backlog in an effort to make this the most interactive financial show on television, if it isn't already. First up last Wednesday, Anita in Iowa wanted to know about Fulgent Genetics. And the symbol there is FLGT to all you home gamers. And this one was, was new to me, so I said we'd do a full workup. Before the pandemic, Fulgent was all about genetic tests for a wide variety of specific conditions. Think hereditary cancers, reproductive issues, all sorts of rare diseases. Their claim to fame was a flexible genetic testing platform that could do single gene tests looking for a specific problem or panel tests searching for a wide variety of genes related to various conditions. Then the pandemic hit in March of 2020, and they quickly rolled out a bunch of COVID tests, both PCR tests and at-home antigen testing that was offered as a service. This quickly became Folgers' largest source of revenue. Uh-oh. Unlike many other pandemic plays, this company didn't rest on its laurels, though. Flush with cash from the COVID testing business, Folgers uh, bought a company called cytometry specialists in August of last year, giving them some new exposure to molecular diagnosis, diagnostics, especially cancer testing, which is so important. I thought it could be a good long-term opportunity. In the interim, though, the market still treats Fulgent as a COVID stock. Last year, COVID testing did indeed account for 88% of their total revenue. And sure enough, Fulgent stock has the classic pandemic winner trajectory. It was trading in the low teens at the end of 2019. Then their testing business picked up, and the stock soared to 190 in February of last year, right before the widespread adoption of vaccines. But now that nearly everybody's had their shots, and if you haven't, please get one, COVID testing is way, way down, and the stock has collapsed. It's now back to around 36 bucks. Now, that makes perfect sense. In the most recent quarter, Folgent sales were down nearly 54% year-over-year, and the earnings dropped nearly 92%. It followed the trajectory of the earnings, and that's only expected to get worse in 2023. In fact, the analysts expect the earnings to vanish entirely, with Wall Street looking for a $2.19 per share loss next year. In the end, live by COVID testing, die by COVID testing. At this point, the question is whether you believe in the rest of the business enough to try bottom fishing here. Fulgent calls this their core business, and it was actually up 110% in the most recent quarter, now accounting for 53% of total sales. That's certainly good to see, although most of its growth that they acquired from cytometry specialists. That's okay. The deal closed a little over a year ago, so the comparisons are about to get a lot more difficult next earnings season, but I like this acquisition. That said, I don't see much more downside here. As Fulton's got net cash of roughly $900 million, yet their current market capitalization stands at just $1.06 billion. That's quizzical, people. Wall Street's valuing this business next to nothing. I bet it's worth more than that. But I also don't see particularly anything urgent to own this thing right now. Uh, let's say I'm on the sidelines, but certainly with an inclination 
to want to buy after I see how the fourth quarter looks. Next up on Monday, Jim in Oregon asked me about this company called Anavex Life Science, and the symbol here is AVXL. It's another one I just didn't recognize it. This is a clinical stage biopharma company that's trying to apply precision medicine to various central nervous system diseases. That's a very difficult section of diseases to try to cure or even to improve on. Now, see, the lead drug is a potential treatment for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and some rare neurological conditions. It's actually in phase three trials for Alzheimer's. Now, Avonex has seen its stock nearly triple over the last couple of years as we've gotten a series of positive data points on their pipeline drugs in 2021. Last November, though, the stock started drifting lower as Wall Street lost interest in unprofitable growth names. Finally, bottomed at $7 in May. Since then, it's nearly doubled thanks to more positive clinical trial data, including for its Alzheimer's drug. Now, there's more where that came from when they present at a big industry conference next month. And, of course, everyone's excited about anything that can possibly stem or slow down Alzheimer's. Cure it, I think, out of the question. Generally speaking, I do hate recommending unprofitable companies in this environment. But when we're talking about early-stage biotechs, that's just the cost of doing business. When it comes to Avonex in particular, I like they've got so many shots on goal, including for niche and markets like Fragile X Syndrome. But, in this big but, I don't want anyone buying Avonex in the hopes that they'll come up with an effective treatment for Alzheimer's. Well, I love it if they can pull it off. I've seen too many investors get burned by drug companies that aim to treat this very tough disease. If you want an Alzheimer's play, I like something safer. I prefer Eli Lilly, which is so diversified it would be fine if one drug candidate fails. I'll be talking more about that tomorrow at our meeting for investing club members at noon. With that disclaimer out of the way, though, I very much like at Anavex. And, you know, you've got my blessing to speculate on this one as long as you're only using your money that you can afford to lose. Also on Monday, Michelle in Wisconsin called about Ryan Specialty, which provides all sorts of services to the insurance industry. I'm familiar with this one, but I want to take a closer look before answering because the stock plummeted 23% last Friday, and I didn't know why. What went wrong? Ryan Specialty reported and they missed numbers across the board. And management lowered its full-year organic growth forecast. These guys are seeing a slower project, uh, project-based construction market, and they're also being hurt by the frozen merger business as they arrange insurance for M&A transactions in each business. But I think that the pullback was frankly too exaggerated. While Ryan especially missed numbers, they didn't miss by that much. We're ta- you're talking about a $10 million revenue shortfall, but it's on a $421 million basis. The earnings per share fell short by one penny, a penny. Yet the stock lost nearly a quarter of its value. Now, that seems like way too harsh a judgment. You need to know, Ryan Specialty is one of the new, really one of the few IPOs from the class of 2021 that's actually been a winner because it's a real business with real sales and real earnings. I think you're getting a very good buying opportunity down here. Finally, last night, Jonathan in Indiana, hopefully that's not Jonathan Taylor of the Colts, who played the Eagles this weekend, he called to ask about a company called Americo which is actually the parent company of U-Haul, hence the symbol U-H-A-L. They've got a few other related side of businesses, too, in both real estate and insurance. Right now, Merco trades at less than 10 times this year's earnings estimates, but it's cheap for a reason. U-Haul's a play on moving, and the moving business ain't great when the market's falling apart. As long as the Fed's still raising interest rates, you got it. <laughs> yeah, mortgage rates over 7 at one point, it's just too risky here. Let me give you the bottom line. Fulton Genetics looks interesting. But I want to see how the numbers look in the fourth quarter before I give it my blessing. Anavex, you've got my blessing for speculation, but only speculation. And Ryan's specialty, I think it's a bargain. As for Merco, 
I'm going to say no thanks. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Steve in Ohio. Steve. Hey, Jim, I got a question for you. Um, you know, with Carvana not having the best of years and they're burning through cash, what's Allies' exposure to them? When I read it, it's like $900 million. Yeah, I- you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's that bad. I, I, I do think that you're absolutely right to look at that. Look, I they do business with Hertz. I looked at Hertz's business. I don't care for Carvana, but I don't think it can hurt Ally that badly. Although you're absolutely right to worry, which is one of the reasons why I'm not recommending that stock. No, and I'm not just talking about Carvana. I'm not recommending Ally. I do like Hertz. Let's go to Mark in Massachusetts, please. Mark. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Mark? I'm doing great now. Thanks, man. I am so glad to talk to you. I've been listening to you for over 15 years, and I thank you for all your wisdom. Um, You're very my start today, you. My start today is Visa. Um, I've been holding it for a while now, and it's just going heart rate monitor. And I'm wondering, is it a good time to get into the stock more? Should I put some more into it, or should I hold well, until it gets this. back down let, to the let, 180? Let's do this. As you know, if you're a member of the investing club, we follow what's known as the uh, S&P oscillator. And when it gets negative, that's when we like to pounce on very big market cap stocks like Visa. So let's not do it now. We're still positive on the oscillator, right? These homework stocks were worth digging into. I think Brian's specialty is a bargain, Folgers Genetics and Anavex are worth watching too. And, and certainly if they go lower, I would actually be tempted to buy them. But America, America, that's the U-Haul. That's still too risky to own. Much more money ahead, including my post-earnings exclusive with Cisco. What did the company have to tell us about the state of global business infrastructure? I'm talking to the CEO. Then, will recent layoffs impact the Fed's action going back, uh, forward? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Well, 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 would you look at the quarter we just got from Cisco Systems? The network equipment and software tightened. A ton of investors have practically given up on it for supply chain woes earlier this year. Didn't help that everybody's worried about a slowdown in corporate tech spending, does it? But after the close, Cisco reported a stellar quarter, a clean top and bottom line beat, with management also raising their full year forecast, not cutting, raising. Even better, there was almost no hair on these. Pretty shocking given how the rest of the tech's doing, which is how this, this stock could actually roar in after hours trading. The last couple of quarters were a little tough, but I told you to stick with management because I thought the problems were short-term in nature. And that's why we still own Cisco for the charitable trust, and apparently we do. Now they've got their group back. I'm wondering if the stock could rally even more than it has. Maybe back to the 50s where they topped out last year. Uh, but before we get ahead of ourselves, let's take a closer look with Chuck Robbins. He's the chair and CEO of Cisco Systems. So more about the quarter. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Bad Money. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wish I was there with you in person, but maybe another time. Oh, I'm sure you will be. Now, Chuck, let's just take it first 30,000 feet. Almost every tech company I talk to has frankly disappointed. It's just been different shades of disappointment. They didn't have the demand or they couldn't, uh, frankly, get the product to the people or they were blocked in China. Any number of reasons why things didn't go well. I did not get any of those impressions from you. Why are you standing out? Well, Jim, I think that, first of all, the teams did a great job executing. And uh, as we've discussed, we've been working on this, this transformation in our business, and we're now at 43% of our business is recurring. Our revenues are recurring, and that's what's reflected in our RPO. Uh, we also saw 
supply chain continued to ease a bit during the quarter, which was helpful. Uh, and uh, you know, from a sequential perspective, our orders were not uh, were not terrible. They were slightly below like the six-year range by about a point, but overall uh, hung in there. And uh, the team just did a great job. But we should point out that uh, that in terms of orders in the Q1, this was the second highest uh, Q1 orders in your history. It was the second highest Q1 orders in our history, which is uh, only eclipsed by the quarter a year ago. And so given all the backlog that we have, we're very pleased with the demand that we still see from our customers. And uh, our teams in supply chain have been working their tails off over the last two years. And uh, we're beginning to see some of the benefit. We talked about having redesigned so, uh, several of our products, over 100 actually, but a couple of really large volume products. Those kicked in in Q1 and began to ship in earnest, which was a very uh, great uh, contributor to the revenue line. So overall, it's just solid execution. Maybe people don't understand how strong the end markets you, are, you have. You're dealing with the companies that frankly haven't slowed down at all uh, and still have very good business, correct? Well, if you, Gartner just did a study recently that said roughly half of our customers say that tech, their tech investments are going to be the last thing that they cut. And when you think about all the secular trends with 5G and, and hybrid work and hybrid cloud and these build out of these AI workloads and uh, full stack observability, all of these things are, are tailwinds to our business and all of our customers are trying to prepare themselves. The pandemic taught our customers a very important lesson about being prepared with your technology infrastructure. And I think that they're gonna continue to spend as much as they can. We see IoT accelerating, uh, particularly as I mentioned with the energy crisis in Europe. Our customers are trying to figure out how to reduce their energy consumption. And we have a lot of technologies that can help them do that. We talked about that on the call. So there's a lot of opportunity right now, Jim. All right, now a couple of analysts, uh, skeptics, and I know that there are skeptics and everybody has a right to be skeptical about everything when it comes to tech. But they're kind of skewed toward the idea that you have these problems, these supply chain problems, and now you've caught up and you're just feasting off your backlog. And next time we see you, things will be worse. And that is a narrative. Now, I mean, look, you and I are sports fans. That's very easy to say, you know what, you lost last quarter. And so, you know, pretty much, I mean, give me a break. You're not going to win the next couple of games. Now, I think that that narrative doesn't apply in sports and shouldn't apply to you. Can you talk about the idea that just because you've eaten through some of the supply doesn't mean the game is over? Well, first of all, Jim, I, I suspect you're reflecting on your Eagles last game and hopeful that that doesn't no, reflect no, on the rest of the season, but we'll leave that for another time. That, unfair, uh, but go but, ahead. Um, look, we, we, gave them, <laughs> we, gave them, we gave them more information today than we normally would, and here's what we told them. Uh, based on assuming our bookings for the year are even down 10%, which is not what we're forecasting, we would project that we'll exit the year, the fiscal year, with two to three times our normal year-ending backlog, which I told them is normally four to five billion dollars. So you take that as we exit this fiscal year, and then you look at 43% of our business coming from recurring, which is, again, the RPO number that we gave of 31 billion. We have more visibility than we traditionally have had, and we have a high degree of confidence in the results that we're gonna be able to deliver. So I think we just have to execute, the team's gonna execute, we're gonna, go do what we said we're going to do, and I think then, uh, you know, people will begin to believe. I will point out, Chuck, that you had told me and told the analysts that orders are what matter. Now, I've followed the company since 92. Orders have always been what matters. But people overlooked it last time. Why are they not accepting the fact that orders are the best indicator of how Cisco is going to do? 
Well, I think the, the, I think the analysts are struggling with correlating this recurring revenue model. Right. And I don't think they really uh, have grasped the magnitude of the backlog. And, uh, and it's going to take a while to unwind that, clearly. We made a lot of progress this quarter. Our teams did a great job of getting the aged backlog out. But um, again, the data that I gave you would, was, is even if we have a 10% downturn in orders this fiscal year, in the second half of our fiscal year, the order comparisons get very favorable. We're nice. actually comparing right now against the toughest quarters that we had. So uh, I think that um, you know, we'll see how it goes the next rest of the year. We're not, we're not naive. We understand what's happening in the world, but, uh, but we feel good. All right, I want to congratulate you, Chuck, on delivering exactly what you told us when you were on last time. And uh, great work for Cisco. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. That's Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco, CSCO. Thank you. They have money to be back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. Here's the rest of the calls. Right for I say bye bye bye. So I just put another course on the stock. I said, tell my staff is going to be playing this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Here's money. Let's start with Ray in Texas. Ray. Howdy, Jim. Ray Johnson here. Say Ray. A big no bad day to you. This is pretty cool, man. Never been on your show. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, I'm glad you called in. Thank you so much. How can I help, Ray? My, uh, my stock question is going to be on Uber, and before I ask you that, I want to give you an eight-second breakdown of my career because it may, uh, may help you answer. Uh, half my job is I'm a country singer-songwriter. I play 60 to 70 shows a year. We haven't played Bar San Miguel yet, um, and then I own some real estate here in Texas. And my dad told me a long time ago, he said, son, I'm from Alabama, I'm a race senior. His name is said, dad, he said, son, I bought Disney because you and your old uh, sister, I knew we were going to make me spend okay. some money at Disney World, and uh, All right. it's kind of the same, the same, co- same kind of logic why I bought Uber. I think it's going to be here for okay. I, I tell you, Uber is uh, interesting, Ray. I'm tell you, Uber is a stock that you have to own for a while. It's losing a lot of money, but it has excellent management, and it's going to be last man standing, and that's why I like Uber. Let's go to Dustin in Oklahoma, please, Dustin. Booyah, Jimbo. Long Booyah, time, Dustin. Anytime. I'm a club member. Very good. Oh, good thank you. you yes. I'll listen to you. Tomorrow. I hope you're here tomorrow at our 12 o'clock meeting. I think it's going to be a good one. Thank you. What's going on? Absolutely. Never miss it. Hey, I got into this stock a little over a year ago with the club. And I've been holding on, even though I know you all have exited most of it. I've seen on Scott Wapner's show, several of the uh, analysts on there say that they're looking forward to PayPal moving forward. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think PayPal has come down a great deal, and I think it does have a great opportunity to be able to uh, amount. It, it's really got to kind of, let's say, put together the whole space. I'm looking for them to be the uh, concentrator. I think that they can make it so that a lot of other companies go under their umbrella, and that would make me like the stock, but that has not happened yet. They have to amalgamate. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, how you doing? I am good. How are you? Good, good. So I know I won't take up too much of your time. You can't get much more bullish on a stock than I am on Wingstop, W-I-N-G. 
I'd be honored. Well, I don't blame you. Wingstop is actually, I think, I'll tell you something that's really interesting about Wingstop. I think they've actually improved their formula greatly. I'd like to have them come back. They're people, they're all over the place more. They used to be more concentrated in some areas. Now they're really all over. I think it's a very good situation, and I think you're right. Plus, unlike most food costs, wings have actually come down. Let's go to Adam in Oregon. Adam. Mr. Kramer. Yes, Adam. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, I'm calling about the family spinoff. Four keys. Is this a buy here? I happen to think that this was a very good spin on a very good uh, both sides. I happen to like uh, Danaher very much. It's a charitable, it's a charitable trust name. And I like Fordham. I think you made a good suggestion from Oregon. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, making sense of what the tech layoffs mean for the greater economy. Navigate a white-knuckle market with Kramer, next. It's animal farm time. All workers are equal, but some are more equal than others. That's how I feel about this wave of tech layoffs. Yesterday, Goldman Sachs put out a cogent piece arguing, and I quote, that tech layoffs are not a sign of impending recession, end quote. These layoffs get a ton of media attention, the paper said, but Goldman doesn't think that they tell us much about the rest of the labor market. You've got Meta laying off 11,000 people, Twitter firing 3,700, Amazon letting go an unspecified number of people, perhaps as many as 10,000, then there's a smattering of other layoffs. Put it all together, as Goldman did, and it adds up to about 34,000 big tech layoffs announced just this month alone. Now, according to Goldman, this is not a sign that we're headed into a recession. But I actually think it's very good news on the inflation front because these tech layoffs have a much larger hit on discretionary spending than regular jobs. First, let's pull apart these 34,000 layoffs. Most of these people make very good money. Wouldn't shock me if they're bringing in five times the median worker's salary of 50 grand a year in this country. So in terms of lost income, 34,000 tech layoffs might translate into, say, 170,000 regular Joe layoffs. Of course, anyone who thinks 34,000 is the real number has lost their mind. I believe it's just the tip of the iceberg. We know businesses in the rest of the country run lean. American non-tech companies know how to lay people off better than anyone else in the world. I'd argue we're way too good at it, as we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. Trying to get those people back was hard. We've seen wage inflation all over the place because we've got a labor shortage. But I don't think that's a huge part of what's been driving prices up. If you're looking for the source of consumer inflation, a lot of it comes from the advertising slash engineering slash brokerage, private equity, venture capital complex, including everyone involved in these industries that are now at the epicenter of the slowdown. They're the ones who are bearing the brunt of higher interest rates, whether it comes from a lack of confidence, a decline in the value of stock-based compensation, or a stunning fall-off in sales that results in an outright reduction in force. See, tech is at the vanguard of the decline. Now, we tend to think of Silicon Valley as an entity unto itself that tends to chug along pretty consistently. With the huge exception of the dot-com collapse, this industry's rarely had a downturn. We're coming off 20 years of tech excess, and it is mostly concentrated in California, although there's a, that, that's a huge percentage of the country and a major source of inflation, especially in real estate. It's also a prime vacation destination when you count on that. So if you look at the aggregate figures, which the Fed absolutely does, you can't dismiss the over-indexed folks in the largest state in the union. Now let's address who's letting people go. 
These layoffs are in companies that exist for consumption or advertising. I think, you know, think of Google, Amazon, Facebook, advertising, consumption. Meanwhile, there are hundreds of smaller companies that were created in the last few years to meet levels of consumption that are now disappearing. Many SPACs and recent IPOs are already going under. On top of that, a plethora of attorneys, accountants, brokers, M&A people now have nothing to do. They're all candidates to be laid off come year-end, too. There are hundreds of thousands of people at startups that aspired to come public and now can't because the market's closed to them. That includes myriad software, hardware, and biotech firms, especially enterprise software. And don't get me started on fintech. So when you see FedEx warning of lower-than-expected delivery volumes, do you think that that has to do with industrial America, which is doing fine, or perhaps with these paid, well-paid professionals who suddenly could be out of work? Let me put it this way. Over the last two decades, we've created a whole class of rich people spread across the country. And as their wealth vanishes, it's going to impact the entire economy. I'm not even counting the thousands of people who are about to lose their jobs in crypto world or the ones who might get laid off if Target's right that October was dismal and November will be worse. We know the Fed wants to beat inflation, and that means causing real pain to the labor market. But some layoffs have a lot more impact than others. These people are purchasing power force multipliers. In that sense, they'll move the needle when they lose their jobs and can't find new ones because, remember, their skill sets are the same as everyone else who's just getting laid off. That's why I think the Fed can strike at the heart of the inflation snake. Technology, that's where it's going to be. And they can do it without killing the rest of the economy. Everybody else will be hurting soon enough when the pain trickles down. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.